Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today, really excited, is Jimmy Moore. He's the author of a book called Keto Clarity, your definitive guide to the benefits of a low-carb, high-fat diet. He also runs a podcast, and he's done, I think, close to 1,500 podcasts, uh, Live in La Vida Low Carb, um, very prolific in the keto space, and uh, seems like a very happy guy, and I'm really glad to talk to him. So, Jimmy, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Hey, hey what's up, man? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I know you've told your story eight billion times, but uh, everyone in health-related fields, everyone in diet-related fields, they always have a backstory that led them to, you know, be a real advocate of what they do. So can yeah. you tell me a little bit about your backstory? What got you into this whole uh, keto lifestyle? Yeah, let's make it eight billion and one now. So, um, yes, sure. I, in 2003, weighed 410 pounds. I was taking prescription medications for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, uh, respiratory issues. I was literally a ticking time bomb at the age of 31. And I had tried all these diets over the years of how to lose weight, uh, cut, cut your calories, cut your fat grams, exercise, you name it, diet pills, rabbit food. I had done it. And it was just one of those things that, okay, I guess this is my lot in life. I'm going to be a professional dieter. Um, but then for Christmas that year of 2003, I got a diet book for Christmas from my mother-in-law. God bless her. <laughs> she was not very subtle, that one. Yeah, the, most mother-in-laws aren't, uh, mothers-in-law aren't subtle, and this one certainly is not. Uh, but she gave me a book that totally changed my life forever. Um, it was Dr. Rackin's New Diet Revolution, which is a low-carb diet. And I went on that. First of all, I thought Dr. Rackins was a quack and a half. I'm like, okay, this dude is a cardiologist and he's telling people to eat more fat. Uh, doesn't he know that clogs your arteries and gives you heart disease? Uh, eat less carbs. How, how am I going to have any energy throughout the day if I don't eat carbs? All these things that a lot of people even to this day still believe. But I was desperate, 410 pounds. I was not in a good place in my early 30s when I started this, and I needed to do something about it. And so January 1st, 2004, I started a New Year's resolution to lose weight using the Atkins diet. Uh, it eventually turned into a new life resolution to get healthy and stay healthy, uh, and that's what it is here still today. So that year, I lost 180 pounds, and of course, that got a lot of attention. People like weight loss success stories. I don't put the emphasis as much on weight anymore, and we can talk about that if you want to, uh, because I think there's something even more important than weight loss, which is temporal, um, mm. but that was the story, and that's kind of what catapulted me into starting Live in La Vida Low Carb, and then the Live in La Vida Low Carb show, and then eventually getting a book contract to write a bunch of books. Yeah, well, very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so since then, since you first lost all the weight, um, have you had periods where you, you know, fell off the wagon and started eating, uh, you know, more carbs and did your weight go back up? And you know, like, that's a long yeah, time. I've that's, never uh, fallen off the wagon. Years. Yeah. The, the, you know, the traditional sense of quote, falling off the wagon. Um, I've never done that. I, ever since adopting this, uh, and it happens pretty quickly for people who go low carb, Atkins, paleo, keto, whatever you want to call it. Um, I eat, Primalio ketogenic today, by the way, that's primal uh, for a little bit of dairy with the real food, paleo for the real food aspect, and then keto for the low carb, high fat aspect. So, uh, yeah, I've always very generally stayed low carb. It's the nuance from there. You know, how much protein are you eating? How much fat are you eating? Uh, that kind of shifts up and down. And of course, now I'm, uh, that was 2004. Now it's 14 years later. And so I'm that much older and some of the ramifications of, and I didn't tell you how I ate before I went and how I got to 410 pounds. I used to drink, and people always kind of gasp when they hear this, but I used to drink 16 cans of Coca-Cola 
a day. And that is no lie. I would just guzzle that stuff Please. like it was going out of style. Yeah, I was a sugar addict, dude. <laughs> so, and I would also have whole boxes of like those Little Debbie Swiss, uh, Swiss rolls and the oatmeal pies and the, um, what was it, the fudge rounds. Those were all my favorite ones back in the day. And I would just sit down and watch TV and eat whole box, like two, two boxes of that while watching television at night. And that was normal to me. Um, I was covering up a lot of kind of hurt in my past. And so some people turned to alcohol, some people turned to drugs. And a lot of people, nobody talks about this, turned to sugar. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, you know, I was in pretty good shape. And I used to drink like a half gallon of orange juice while I'd study. And now when I think about doing that, I'd be like, oh, I, yes. I, I, it's like hundreds of grams of sugar. I couldn't even begin to do it, you know. Well, and even to this day, people still think orange juice is healthy because it came from oranges. So what could be so wrong about it? But here's the mm -hmm. thing. And orange in and of itself is a real food, but not when you process it to, to take out the worst part of the orange, which is what the orange juice is. Uh, it's just basically all the sugar that's in there. Yes, it's natural sugar, but it's going to naturally raise your blood sugar and raise your insulin levels and raise your inflammation yeah. levels and all the negative effects. You might as well drink a Coca-Cola at that point. You get a few vitamins from the, uh, from the orange uh, juice, but it's certainly not what you would get if you just ate a whole orange with the fiber and all the things that go with it. Now, some people today, because of the way they ate in their past, like I did, um, you can't even have an orange now, even a whole orange, without it Im impacting your blood sugar and insulin and other health markers negatively. So um, how many people do you estimate you've interacted with that have started to eat low carb and have mm -hmm. talked to you while they're in the process and asked you for advice and, you know, you've seen how they succeeded or failed or what questions they have. How do you, how many do you think right. you've, you've spoken to? Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's very hard to know because a lot I don't even know about because they don't write to me, but they bought Keto Clarity or they bought one of my other seven books that I have. Um, and sometimes, you know, they'll come to a book signing or they'll come to an event that I'm at and go, your book changed my life. I used to be this. I, I'm now this, you know, they come off diabetes medications. They improve their brain health. Um, obviously weight loss is a part of that as well. Um, so I, I mean, I wouldn't even venture to take a guess, but it's easily, it's easily a hundred thousand people just based on book sales alone. Uh, Keto Clarity has sold uh, well over a quarter million copies. So I'll assume not everybody that read it had a chain story. So <laughs> I'm just trying to extrapolate. Yeah. But then the, the podcast has been out there, like you said, you know, almost 1500 episodes. I mean, who knows, dude, it could be in the million. How do you feel about that? It's overwhelming. Um, because I tell people often, I'm nothing special. I'm just a dude who changed his life and got passionate about a topic and use the talents and skills that the good Lord gave me uh, to talk and to write and all the things that I do now. Um, it, it, yeah, it's overwhelming when I stop and think about it, but it also gives me fulfillment knowing that I'm leaving my mark on this world, that if I were to die tomorrow and, and this was the end of this journey in my life, I feel like I've, I've changed the world at least a little bit. That's really cool. It's really cool. Very glad to hear that. Um, you know, I've, I've asked plenty of people, how do you do keto? How do you do this? How do you do that? But I'm, I'm interested yep. in the tough parts of it. You know, I've, <laughs> I started on it about a year and a half ago and I noticed some stuff. So I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, Shoot the stuff. Some at of the me. difficulties. You yeah. Like one thing I noticed is I was like ravenously hungry. I would eat, um, you know, like six eggs sometimes and bacon and, 15 minutes later, I'd be starving again. And I was like, how could this happen? You know, and, and after a few months that went away, but I, right. you know, I, there were a lot of things that made it again in, in the beginning difficult. So that's what I'm wondering. Can for I you. address that one, that, that one first? Cause I think that's one that's sure. very common when people first start. Um, and, and I, I'm happy to hear you say you only had six eggs to start. Uh, my wife, when she first started making recipes, uh, for me or cooking meals, trying to help, help me get on this keto thing, she made me, this is no lie. Cause she was used to seeing me have big plates of food, like pasta and, 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 and sauce and everything big plate. So what did she do? She cooks up a whole dozen eggs 
and scrambles them in some butter for me. And that's my very first meal I ever have when I start on Atkins. And I got about a third of the way through that. And I went, holy crap, I'm full. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why did you make so many eggs? Well, I'm used to seeing you have whole plates of pasta. Surely it's just, you know, she didn't understand at the time the macronutrient makeup of pasta versus the protein and fat that's in, uh, that's in that meal with the eggs. And so, yeah. So, yeah. So sometimes when people first start, satiety doesn't kick in as quickly as it did for me. And it's one of those things that if you have never felt true hunger before, maybe you don't recognize it. Maybe, maybe you're dehydrated. Maybe you needed to drink a little more water because sometimes the body will give you signals that you think is hunger and it's actually thirst. Um, another thing that probably would have helped with that is salt. This is something that I try to preach early and often, get some pink Himalayan sea salt. I get a big old bucket of it from Costco and you can literally salt anything. Yes, you have permission, not just to eat saturated fat again, but also to have salt again. And salt provides some of that satiation that people feel hunger and what it actually is, is electrolyte imbalance. So there's so many little nuanced things that you can do, uh, which is why I wrote Keto Clarity. I wanted to kind of handhold people going through this process. Okay. But what other um, unexpected things have you heard from people that have been on uh, you know, the keto diet or that you ran into that most books or people don't talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the common things are you get the leg cramps, and I got those really bad when I first started Atkins, not knowing it was electrolyte imbalance. Um, and the Charlie's horse is just murderous. I remember Christine, my wife, I'd be screaming in the middle of the night with these Charlie horses, and she'd get up and massage them. She'd be all yeah. like that and, and take care of it. And of course, we had no idea in 2004 when I was going through this that it was I needed more salt. Um, nobody was really talking positively about salt. Now they are. Um, so I was a little bit late to the game there, but, but we finally figured it out. But yeah, I, I think a lot of the electrolyte imbalances, the so-called keto flu, when people feel fatigued and tired and, and lacking energy and headaches and all of this stuff that happens early on, if you're getting any of those symptoms, that is a telltale sign that you need four things in abundance. Number one, water because usually when you feel those things you're dehydrated and here's the thing when you go keto you're dumping all the excess sugar that's in your body while you're shifting from a sugar burner to a fat burner so where is that sugar uh in your body it's in your muscles stored as this thing called glycogen well what is what is storing the glycogen it's water so when you first start going keto you got to go to the bathroom a lot because you're peeing out all of this water that has that sugar in it from the glycogen stores. So you've got to replenish that water, number one. Number two, salt. You have to get some pink Himalayan sea salt. I like taking it straight up uh, underneath the tongue that's called sublingual, and it actually gets into the bloodstream really good. And when you have a craving, that is a quick way to get rid of a craving. Like you were saying, you're ravenous you know, a few minutes after having even bacon. I would say get some extra salt, maybe extra fat also to help with that. But back to oh, the electrolytes. So number two, number two salt. So number three, magnesium, which you can get in some dark chocolate, or you could just take a magnesium supplement. Use magnesium glycinate, not citrate, unless you like poopy pants. Um, and do it an hour before you go to bed, and it helps you sleep. And then the last one for the electrolyte balance is potassium, which you could take in pill form, but God made a really great natural food that has tons of potassium in it. It's called an avocado. So you can eat avocado and one whole avocado has twice as much potassium as a banana. And yet everybody thinks bananas is where you get potassium, which you can, but yeah, you get a whole heck of a lot more from an avocado. And a lot less sugar from an avocado. Bananas oh, tons less sugar. less sugar. Yeah. And lots of healthy monounsaturated fats. Yep. So yeah, what, what other... Um... Again, in your interaction with so many people, what makes them not do the diet or fall out of it or complain I, about it or, you know, whatever? Yeah, I think they miss bread, pasta, uh, all the crappy garbage, as I like to refer to it <laughs> in my work. Um, and, and I think that addiction is something that I know a lot of people talk about. But unless you've been there where you're drinking 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day or you're 
binging on fast food or whole boxes of little Debbie snack cakes like me, um, unless you've been there, you really don't realize the pull that those foods have on your body. Um, and so I think that, and it's always in the early days of starting this. Um, and, and I think people underestimate the pull of that addiction. So they get gung ho and they're like, oh, I can have bacon and I can have eggs and I can have butter and all those so-called forbidden foods uh, on a diet. And now they're back on the menu again. And yet then at some point they don't eat enough fat and fat is really the craving zapper which is why we talk about it being a low-carb, high-fat diet. What happens is people go on, quote, keto, and they have chicken breast with broccoli, and there's hardly any fat in that meal, and they're starving, and they're going, what in the world am I doing wrong? So, yeah, that's a biggie. I, th I think under-eating fat, which also leads to under-eating calories, um, because people think, oh, okay, well, if I'm eating 1,400 calories, then – 1,200 calories would be better. 1,000 calories would be better. And so we fall into this trap of thinking it's about the calories, and it's really not about that at all. Are there, um, are there people that have tried keto but just are not um, losing enough weight for them? They may lose little but stop, and they're doing something that's preventing them from losing more weight, and they just don't know what it is. You know, have you found certain right. things where they can go wrong a bit? Oh my gosh, there are so many things that don't even have anything to do with your diet that could impact your weight. Um, and let me back up just a little bit. There is this condition that's called insulin resistance. And so that's where uh, when you eat food, especially carbohydrate, the body has this mechanism for taking care of that food by uh, squirting out enough insulin. Now, insulin is a hormone in the body that helps to keep your blood sugar within a tight range. So what happens is if you do what Jimmy Moore did and you start having lots and lots of uh, carbs and you're just constantly flooding your body, which, by the way, when I was eat, drinking all those sodas, it was like literally constantly throughout the day. I never gave my pancreas a break. The pancreas is what makes the insulin. Uh, and I would literally be so hungry all the time. I now know why the insulin <laughs> and that it my, my insulin was constantly pumping. And it was like, dude, you're killing me. You're wearing me out here. And so I never gave it a break. And so then at some point, it's almost like, you know, the, the mom that starts ignoring the kids because they blah, 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 so much that you don't hear them fully anymore. And that's exactly what insulin's doing to the blood sugar. All right, you're going to keep putting blood sugar in here. I'm just going to ignore you. And so insulin can't keep up with the demand of the blood sugar flooding in that's insulin resistance when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do to bring the blood sugar back down. So it manifests on your blood sugar levels, which anybody can test with a glucometer that you can get from like Walmart or local pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, whatever. Um, and, and so that's one of the first signs. There are these things that pop up on the skin, uh, skin tags. That is a sign of insulin resistance. Oh um, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So if you have any of those on your body right now, which Jimmy Moore does, um, you have insulin resistance. And so when you have insulin resistance, you have to work so much harder than everybody around you uh, to manage your weight. And it's, it's a huge inhibitor that I don't think enough people talk about either, where it's the equivalent. And my latest book is called The Keto Cure. I wrote, I wrote it with an osteopath named Dr. Adam Nally. And in that book, we talk about how for someone with insulin resistance, if you eat one slice of bread, for example, worth of carbohydrate, it's as if your body as an insulin resistant person ate the whole freaking loaf. And so you have to be mindful of that, which is why carbohydrate restriction is so important for people with this condition of insulin resistance. Yeah, but is it permanent in your experience or wouldn't it go um, away after being low carb for a while? Right. So that's a great question, and I've asked that to many of the doctors that I've had on my show over the years and even like nutritional health experts. I think for some of us, it's just going to be one of those things you have to constantly tweak and manage. So I'll tell you what I've done. So obviously, I've been low-carb for many years. I've been keto since 2012, um, and I eat real whole foods as the basis of my diet. So most people eating the diet that I eat now would be incredibly fit 
uh, have impeccable health numbers and would not have a weight issue. Unfortunately, I have, uh, I, I am fit and I do have good health markers, except for the insulin is still raised, which makes sense. I have insulin resistance. The insulin doesn't want to talk right. Um, but everything else uh, is great in the health markers, but I still have weight on the body. And so that's perplexing to people because, again, the mainstream talks about calories and fat grams. And if I go to see a doctor right now, that's what he would say. Count your calories, cut your fat grams, and all the weight will come off. What they're neglecting, though, is this is a hormonal issue. And so can it be fully healed in a lot of people? Yes. But I think for people like me, and there's a probably a segment of the population like me, uh, I, I don't know what percentage you would put on that, but I would assume it's anybody that's had crappy garbage on a daily basis for a few decades. Because by the time I did this, I was 32, and I'd already eaten pretty much that way uh, all of my childhood and adulthood up, up until that point. I don't think I'm ever going to fully turn it around. But does that mean I won't see any great things happening in my health? No, I, I think my health is probably better than most people, despite the added weight. And here's the other thing. I'm bucking a lot of genetic tendency. My brother, Kevin, had three heart attacks at 32, and he died of heart disease and morbid obesity and type 2 diabetes at the age of 41. My dad uh -huh. had a heart attack at at 48 and 50, and then quintuple heart bypass surgery at 54. Both of my grandfathers on both sides of my family died in their early 50s. So I have strong genetic tendencies based on the males in my family that I should be having a heart attack and dying tomorrow. But I'm fo almost 47 now, and I am healthier than all of them were. Um, and I base this on all the health markers. I did this thing that I wrote about in Cholesterol Clarity, my book, um, called a CT heart scan, where you can actually see calcified plaque that's going on in your arteries in your chest and zero, no plaque whatsoever, despite eating a high-fat diet. But, um, you know, I hope this is not too personal. What do you weigh and how tall are you? Um, you know, I have not stepped on a scale in a little while because I just don't give a crap, honestly. Okay. Um, if I had to take a guess, it's probably now. Keep in mind, I started at four ten when all of this uh, this journey began for me. I am probably I, I don't know to be honest, but I, I'd probably guess around three hundred pounds, um, and I'm six foot three. That's that's so interesting. So you've been doing this for so long. You lost a lot of weight. You're very healthy, but yep. I mean, it's funny. You're still, you know. I mean, you know, I'm still heavier too. Like I'm never. It's weird. So you don't you don't think you're ever going to become. Um, so, then again. so here's what I'm doing. No, I, I, I'm very fit. I, I want to define terms right. here. So I think you can be fit and yet still have extra weight on the body, but the weight being on the body doesn't make you not fit. Again, it's cultural stereotypes galore here right. going on where, where people think if you have a tummy, which literally that is the only place I have uh, weight that's of consequence on my body. You look at my calves. Like, like from the knees down, I'm the sexiest man you've ever seen. I'm just kidding. Uh, I have awesome calves <laughs> and, and my upper body uh, and my shoulders and everything, very well defined and, and muscular. Um, it's just that midsection, which, again, is a huge sign of insulin resistance, even though I'm eating healthy. So let me tell you some of the things I've been doing this year. I've been working with a medical doctor on one of my other podcasts. Uh, called the Keto Hacking MD podcast. His name's John Lemansky, Dr. John Lemansky. And he's got me doing these various biohacks, what we're calling Keto Plus. So let's say you do keto and you're not really seeing the, the needle move, not just on your uh, weight, but also maybe like for me, my insulin's still high. I'm trying to get that into the single digits. It's hovering right around 14 to 18, which is not horrible compared to a type 2 diabetic, but it's not great either. You ideally want that in the single digits and uh, optimally under five. So he's got me doing these biohacks. So have you heard of the term biohacking? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah, so some of the things that he has me doing currently is optimizing my sleep, which I wear this uh, device that lets me see how my sleep's doing. And sleep generally has been pretty good for me. And we, and we were going to talk about this earlier, what would inhibit a lot of the weight loss. So uh, stress, uh, lack of sleep, hormonal imbalances, 
medications. Uh, there's a lot of kind of non-diet things that can contribute. So to help optimize a lot of those things, he's got me doing, and, and hold on to your hats. Some of this stuff is kind of whack, but it's awesome. Um, we do this thing called HIIT training, so high-intensity interval training, H-I-I-T. And usually HIIT uh, is where you're like running really fast at all out you know, for 30 seconds, and then you recover for like a minute. And then you run all out for 30 seconds and you recover for a minute, minute and a half, all out. And so you do like eight rounds of that, eight, 10 rounds of that. And it ends up being right around 20 minutes. And you only do it a couple times a week, two, three times a week. And that's supposed to be a lot better for you than just mindlessly reading a magazine, walking on a treadmill or, or that kind of thing. So I told John, uh, Dr. Lemansky, Hey, I want to up it one more from that. How about I, how about I flip a 200 pound tractor tire? And he said, oh, okay, so you're not only going to get cardiovascular workout with the hit, you're also going to get some strength training. So I started doing that, uh, right at about eight weeks ago and, and yeah, I've just worked my way up. So now I'm able to do 10 rounds of flips and I've slowly taken away recovery. So I've definitely gotten fitter and stronger, um, from doing that, but that's not all we're doing. We're then going to an infrared sauna, which I'm looking at it right here. I'm staring at it. Um, and just 20 minutes in there, 20 to 30 minutes in there can be like having a workout as well. Metabolically lowers Very blood cool. sugar, lowers inflammation. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and ostensibly we're trying to lower insulin as well. So then as soon as the sauna, which is 130 something degrees is finished, then I hop into, and, and this is where it gets kind of funky monkey. I hop into an ice bath. So I've got my bathtub hey. full of water and I dump 20 pounds of ice into the ice, uh, into the bathtub. And I soak in that for about a half an hour. And he thought that was the one I would hate the most. I actually love it the most, uh, because I'm very hot natured. And so it's like relaxing. Now the initial sucks. You get in, you're like, Holy crap. Um, yeah. Yeah. but it's so amazing. And when you get done with all of that, you're just kind of like in nirvana. Your body's just like, ah. And so, and so I'm doing all of those things along with uh, intermittent fasting. I've done some longer fasting, wrote a whole book about fasting. If you want to talk about that, that is something that yeah, I can, I think, help a little bit with the insulin resistance as well. But it's just one of those things. It's not going to be a quick fix. I spent 32 years of my life wrecking this body. And I've spent the last 14 trying to bring it back to some semblance of normality. So out of all the, the doctors you've consulted with and everyone in this field, does anyone, I mean, I'm sure they all have opinions, but is, are people yeah. mystified? You know, because I bet there's a lot of people out there that, yeah, you know, again, they've lost weight, but they haven't lost enough. And they're wondering, like, I'm doing yep. everything right. What's, what's wrong? Well, and that's why I've shifted my philosophy. And, and to answer your question, they are mystified. Um, and, and I think it's good. And I'm so glad that I'm one of the leaders in the movement dealing with this, because if I figure it out, <laughs> it's going to give such hope for people. But in the midst of trying to figure it out, I've got these people that follow me and they're very grateful for the things that I share about the sauna and the ice bath and the flip and the tire in my yard. They're, they're compelled to it because they too are seeking out answers. So, um, you know, there, there's nothing worse in the health community than all these people who act like they've figured it out. The Jillian Michaelses of the world um, that, that pretend like they have all the answers, just simply do this, this and this and all your weight loss worries will go away. Yeah, right. And so um, would I like to figure it out? Obviously, am I gonna? I'm going to keep pursuing it for the rest of my life um, because it's too important not to. But I would say less about pursuing needing some arbitrary weight loss, but more continuing to optimize the health that I've been able to regain thanks to keto. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, when I had been on uh, a keto-esque diet, I guess I'll call it, you know, close to it, um, you know, I took all my blood levels and then six months later, I took them all again and probably 10 of my markers improved dramatically. You know, my triglycerides yep. went down, my insulin went down, my, you know, H1A, H1AC, everything. So I felt yep. great about that. But uh, I guess I'm similar to you. You know, I've lost weight, but it's stalled. And yeah, I used to be a lot lighter and I can't get there and I feel like I'm eating pretty well. So, it's, you know, I'm not happy for you that you're in the same boat, but I'm glad that uh, I'm not alone. 
you look at I'm the, relatable to you because of that. You yeah. you you see a kindred spirit and you go, well, dang, that guy has a 4.9 A1C. He has uh, triglycerides under 100. He's got a HSCRP, which is a key inflammation marker of 1.1, and really anything under three is good. Optimally, under one's better. Um, he has a CT heart scan of zero. You know, I could go down the list of all these health markers that, but for keto, I would probably be dead today. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, too, is in the early part of your journey, you know, there was nothing about keto out there that I know of. You were like the pioneer. You know, you said you had leg cramps. You had all these. How did you keep going? Weren't you worried? <laughs> oh, no, I'm doing well, the wrong thing. I'm going to kill myself. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, feeling better after those initial few days, which sucked, by the way, because keto flu. I was electrolyte imbalanced to the hilt. Um, but once I got past those first few days and I started feeling better, I didn't know what that felt like. That was the first time in probably my entire life that I felt good on a quote diet. And so that was, that was uh, relevatory to me. Um, and, and, and of course I was shedding tons of weight, which stood to reason early on because of the dumping of the glycogen. Like we talked about earlier, I was shedding a lot of, of weight on the scale um, but it was obviously the water weight that was getting out of me. Um, and so that motivated me to keep it going. And then I was doing little tricks along the way. I was kind of psyching myself out. All right, uh, Jimmy, uh, sugar is rat poison. So you wouldn't eat rat poison. So you don't need to be eating sugar. So I was telling myself all these mantras. Okay, sugar's rat poison. Even though I consciously knew it wasn't, it gave me just enough pause to go, okay, yeah, that's rat poison. I don't want to eat that. And so I avoided sugar. Uh, doing that. And of course, when I say sugar, I mean literally any processed carbohydrates because they all turn to sugar in the body. That kept me going. I also, in that initial year, and it's been many years ago now, but that initial year, I allowed myself wiggle room for a cheap meal, one meal every like eight weeks. So I said, okay, I'm going to make it to that cheap meal. So in order to make it to that uh, that meal where I can have pizza or whatever I want for that one meal, I got to be great for the eight weeks. And so I did that, uh, the first time, uh, and that, that eighth week. And so I had the meal and at the end of that meal and that next morning, I was just so sick. And so, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> and it mm -hmm. told me the physiological effects that that food that I had been eating prior to then on a daily basis in large gobs was actually slowly ticking and chipping away at my body. And I didn't notice it until I had had it out of my diet for a long time and then re put it back in. Even for just one meal, my body was revolting going, Oh no, you're not eating that crap anymore. Jay Moore. It's time to get rid of that. So I, I might've done one more of those, but then I was like, this is for the birds. I, I don't feel well when I eat that way anymore. And so that kept me going. I would also say that the foods, and even Dr. Atkins talked about this in his book, um, the foods are luxurious. You don't feel like you're dieting when you're able to have full fat versions of meats and cheeses, and you can have whole eggs, not those nasty egg whites, and you can have butter on top of a steak, a ribeye steak. I mean, this was the dream diet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we have um, bacon they don't they have lean bacon <laughs> yeah well I've, i think it's a difficult question um you know i feel like this way personally so i don't talk to people usually about eating and diet because i'm not thin so i feel like they're going to look at me and say hey what do you know you're not thin you must be wrong yeah do you ever feel like that god because no. you're not i thin. um i feel like i have been in this community for so long and I have added contributions to it that if I was a million pounds, uh, the contributions and the voice and the things that I'm saying still have veracity to them. Now, does it, would it help if Jimmy Moore weighed 180 pounds and had, you know, 6% body fat and was just buff as all get out looking like Schwarzenegger back in the day? Absolutely. From a, from a business perspective and from a public image perspective, I could probably get on television uh, with with that, saying the same things I'm saying now. But again, it's that re relatability factor. I've been at this a very long time, 
and I've got people that follow me because they appreciate that I'm not that perfect model. They appreciate that I'm someone they can relate to, that they see going through things that they're going through. And yes, I'm more in the public spotlight. Um, and, and yes, I do have things I need to work on and I do work on constantly, but I think in the midst of that, I'm doing some pretty darn good work, uh, vis-a-vis those podcasts and the books. And I've got five new books coming in the next year and a half. So it's like, if it was, if it was a real concern, I don't think a major publisher, uh, would want me to be writing books. I don't think people would, uh, come up to me and hug my neck at conferences. Um, it would basically all go away. But I think it's, it's again, I'm, I'm kind of different in this because most people in the health world want that perfection look. I think my perfection in this industry is my imperfection. Yeah, that's really cool. I, that, that, because I look at even, you know, again, even people that uh, are keto experts and, you know, a lot of them are thin and looking great and all that. And it's, then when you're someone that, you know, eats right, but yet doesn't look like that, it's discouraging and it makes you doubt what you're doing. So I think it is super important, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what my bugaboo is, is I, I'm stressed. Um, I, and I wonder why I have five books the next year and a half, <laughs> I have five podcasts a week. So I'm, I'm very motivated to keep going and keep educating that that's, and so I'm a workaholic and that comes with a lot of stress. Um, and so I'm working actively to de-stress, which by the way, the sauna and the ice bath also help de-stress you as well. I'm sitting talking to you right now in a massage chair, trying to find little moments where I can kind of chill out and, and, and de-stress. So that's a biggie for me, but I'll tell you on my calendar, I've already marked off that I'm going to take a period of time off because I've been at this gig almost 14, 15 years straight without really taking a break. Um, and for the longest time I was the lonely wolf out there, uh, talking about this stuff. And now there's a bunch of people out there. So we're already planning for the second half of 2020, the, the last six months of the year, to just take off. I'm going to totally unplug from social media and podcasts and writing books and, and everything that I do now, just as a nice uh, N equals one testing experiment to see if removing the, the, the daily stress does anything to help with the weight. It will, it'll be quite illuminating. Yeah, no, that's great. Huh. Um, just a couple more questions because you yeah. know, this is a great conversation. So we could talk for a long time. Sure. Um, you know, I've I've seen some extra tools in the toolbox that probably can help. So I wanted your comments and thoughts on yeah. exogenous ketones and intermittent fasting and right. know, things like that. So let's uh, start with the uh, the other F word, as I call it. That's fasting. Um, <laughs> so I wrote a book uh, about this topic called The Complete Guide to Fasting. And that book came about uh, when I saw and shared a stage with Dr. Jason Fung, the fasting expert out of Toronto, and I heard him give a talk about fasting, and I went up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, uh, is there a book about how to do uh, fasting that you would recommend? He's like, well, there's really not a whole lot of great ones, especially for like the longer fast. I said, well, let's write one, so that's how that book came about. I met him in South Africa, and and then a year later, we had a book, so um, so yeah, I think that intermittent fasting is something that can happen very naturally when you nourish your body well. And so by nourishing your body well, you're getting lots of micronutrients. Uh, and I think you're controlling insulin, which is what a ketogenic diet does. So if you do those things, your body will naturally intermittent fast. So maybe you wake up in the morning, you're not really hungry at all. There's no rule that says you have to eat breakfast at seven or eight o'clock in the morning, because literally the word is break fast. You can break your fast, break fast at noon if you wanted to. And a lot of people do. They'll skip breakfast. That's my natural inclination. I skip breakfast and then I'll eat at say noon or one. And it's currently uh, around that time as of what we're recording here today. And I still haven't eaten today. And so So it's very easy when you're well keto adapted, fat adapted, you just don't get hungry to intermittent fast. So I'll eat between, say, one o'clock and six o'clock. That's a nice little five hour window of eating. And then the rest of the time I'm fasting that 19 hours Um, that gives such great health benefits. But again, like we've talked about earlier, for the people with insulin resistance, it may not be enough, which is why some of these 
extended fasts of 36 hours, 42 hours, even all the way to upwards of a week could be beneficial to people with insulin resistance. So I personally have done three 21-day fasts. I did one fast of eight out of 31. Yeah. Yeah, really. Read the complete guide to fasting. I put all of this, this information in there, the story about how that went, how I made some bad mistakes when I first started, and how you can avoid those same mistakes that I did. These days, I don't go that long anymore because I find it, well, number one, I travel a lot with what I do, and so I don't really have three weeks blocked off at a time for the most part. So I do one week now, five to seven days. Uh, and you can do those. If you're insulin resistant, you could probably do that once a month, five to seven days, once a month, where you, all you're doing is water and salt. And, uh, and that might help heal slowly some of the insulin resistance. It definitely uh, gives the body a break. And there's all kind of fancy schmancy words I could throw at you, like autophagy that happens in that process where it cleans up the old proteins that are floating around in your body. It's just a good kind of cleansing detox to fast for at least three days. If you're going to go three days, you might as well go five. And if you still feel good after five, make it to seven. I I find that there's kind of a law of diminishing returns after day seven of fasting. But you did mention exogenous ketones. So I want to touch on this one because this one's kind of controversial within the keto world. And I am not anti-exogenous ketones. What I am anti are the companies that promote it by saying, drink your ketones, drink our product, and you'll be in ketosis in an hour, and you can eat all the carbs you want. That is a very bad idea. (laughs) So uh, I'm not a fan of some of the marketing of, of a few of these companies, but there are some good companies out there making a great version of exogenous ketones. So what are they? They're beta hydroxybutyrate salts, so BHB salts. BHB is the ketone that's active in the blood. So when you test for ketosis, that's what you're testing. And so this puts it directly into the bloodstream. Uh, There's a company called Perfect Keto. There's another one called Kiss My Keto. Everybody and their mama is trying to get in on the exogenous ketones bandwagon these days. But the point of them isn't to replace eating a ketogenic diet. The point of them is to be an adjunct to doing a ketogenic diet when you're not quite getting the results you're looking for. So someone with some kind of a disease, let's say they have Alzheimer's or even cancer or even diabetes or something where they're trying to get more ketones in the blood because higher ketone levels actually drive down blood glucose, which drives down insulin, which is the point of all this. So if you're using them strategically in conjunction with a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat diet, then I think exogenous ketones can be hugely helpful uh, in the process of being keto. If you're using them as a replacement for a truly ketogenic diet, like I just described, um, don't bother. You're you're just, no. (laughs) Right. And with all due respect to those companies pushing that, they're just trying to push more product. They don't really care about your results. All right. So last question, and it's kind of a combined one. Yeah. Um, intermittent fasting, if the idea of a multi-day fast scares you, um, is there, you know, could you do a 16-hour one in a day and is that going to do much for you? Is there um, a sweet spot if you were to do it less and just eat in a small window? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, I, then with, I, I, yeah. and that's a great question. Uh, I I intermittent fast basically every day. I can eat easily between one and six and then fast for that 19 hours. That's pretty much a very comfortable way that I have fallen into. But let me tell you what happened with that. It happened extraordinarily naturally. So if somebody's listening to this right now, they hadn't even really tried to dibble dabble in keto before, try keto. And I think at this point, when you go keto, you're going to, first thing you'll probably do is cut out your snacks. So if you snack or, or cut out the frequency of your meal. So let's say you have six meals a day with snacks, which a lot of people do. It's encouraged by dietitians. Of course, the dietitians are pushing foods that would make you have to snack, but uh, that's that's another story for another day, brother. But um, I think what yes. you'll find is the frequency of the meals goes down. So instead of six meals, maybe you get it down to that three meals with snacks. And then what you'll find, the more you do this, okay, uh, a thing called satiety kicks in. You're not as hungry, and you'll find the snacks go away, and then you're down to the three meals. And then over a little more time, you get that three meals 
down to two meals spread out, you know, let's say you're having one at like eight o'clock and the evening meal at six o'clock. And then what you'll find is you'll wake up in the morning, you're not as hungry. And, and so then you're able to tighten that window of eating to five, six, seven, eight hours. So you can start naturally intermittent fasting. So yeah, I, I wouldn't sweat um, trying to force intermittent fasting. I say, let it come to you uh, and let it be based on how your body is responding. Um, because too many people say, well, I've heard people like Jimmy Moore and Dr. Jason Fong talk about fasting. So I'm just going to dive right into it from the standard American diet. Um, if you like pain, that's a great idea. Uh, but there's, there's so many more ways to mitigate some of that negative effects. And I would say the key in fasting is what you're eating when you're eating. So, uh, when you're eating, you have to, have to, have to have adequate fat. If you're not eating, if you're getting hungry, uh, very soon after eating, then that means you did not eat nearly enough fat in that prior meal. Mm. And very soon means anything less than like four or five hours. Okay. And yeah, last question, exogenous ketones. I, I hear how not to use them, but how would someone use them to, you know, bolster yeah. a ketogenic diet? Right. So let's say you're eating uh, keto well and you're just not quite getting blood sugar down. You're, you're maybe not even quite getting blood ketones up and you're not willing to fast. Okay. So those are all the kind of prerequisites. And I would even say if you do decide to fast, exogenous ketones could be, help, could be helpful. So let's start there because the first couple of days of fasting can be rough um, because people aren't used to quote, not eating. And so I would say take exogenous ketones the first couple of days of a fast, and it will give you an energy substrate that the body will recognize. So beta-hydroxybutyrate is a, a huge energy source when you, uh, when you use it as fuel, which is what a ketogenic diet does. But in the context of fasting, if you're still somewhat of a sugar burner and you're not quite in the ketosis that you would need to stave off hunger and cravings during a fast, this is where uh, strategically you could use them to control hunger uh, during a fast. Now, obviously, once you're in a fast and you do it for several days, uh, the natural ketone production starts and you won't need them anymore, but that's one. Mm. I would say anybody that needs higher ketones for therapeutic purposes, which I did mention earlier about cancer and Alzheimer's disease and all of those things, there's this thing called the glucose uh, ketone index. And so you're trying to get kind of a one-to-one -one ratio of blood sugar in millimoles per liter, uh, ketones, uh, blood ketones in millimoles per liter. And that ratio, uh, you're trying to aim for about a one. So if you have 4.2 blood ketones, which uh, is really strong blood ketones, and then a 4.2 blood sugar, which is somewhere around 78, then that's kind of an ideal. That's kind of what you're looking for for that therapeutic purpose. Again, not for general health, but for treating uh, disease such as Alzheimer's, cancer, uh, and so forth. So, so that would be Good. something. And I would think uh, also just psychologically, when you first start on a ketogenic diet, maybe you want to feel what it feels like. Everybody talks about the brain health benefits of eating this way. Exogenous ketones give you what that feels like, like really fast. And so you're, it kind of gives you a sneak peek into what you can expect it, uh, once you're in full-on ketosis. So those are a lot of great reasons to use EKs. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, what else you got for me, man? I'll keep going if you have other questions. Yeah, no, like, that's uh, a lot. Um, so you've written, how many books do you think you've written so far? I want to give uh, listeners some resources. Yeah, I've so had seven uh, books. My eighth one's coming out November 6th called Real Food Keto. And like I said, I've got four more coming next year. So yeah, busy, busy. Uh, keto's hot right now. So uh, my publisher said, uh, we'll take as many books as you think you can pump out in the next year. I was like, okay, let's do one a quarter. And they're like, okay, you're in. So yeah. That's great. Um, so what's a resource for people that are new that are considering, you know, keto? And then what's a resource for people yeah. that have been in it for a while, but they want to take it the next step? Uh, of my books? Is that what you're talking about? Or, or websites? Or what are you talking about? Yeah, well, everything you got. You have books, podcasts, okay. website, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. got a whole so, cornucopia of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a cornucopia of, of resources. So if you're brand new to all this and you're just like, I don't really know where to start. I don't even know how to start. 
I need a beginner's manual about how to do keto. Well, I wrote the book. Um, it's called Keto Clarity. Um, that's exactly why I wrote the book, because when I was out there trying to figure all this out, there was no Keto Clarity. I had all these kind of sciency books, which the sciency books are great once you understand it, but you don't put a kindergartner in high school, right? <laughs> they have to start kind of at the kindergartner yeah. level and then work their way up to the ninth grade. Uh, and then they're ready to go, and then they'll understand it at that point. And I think it, I think sometimes we try to skip by those newbies and just say, well, they'll figure it out on their own. And some do, but others get frustrated because they just don't understand what they're doing. So I wrote Keto Clarity in very layperson language so that literally anybody picking this up um, that has some modicum of, of understanding will be able to get keto really, really fast. So – that uh, shameless plug, shameless plug, uh, the, the first resource. I would also say, listen to my podcast that I do on Thursdays. I do it with a functional medicine practitioner who is a keto diet author as well. Mm. His name's Dr. Will Cole. The name of the show is Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. And we answer listener questions all about keto. We're about 120-something episodes in on that podcast. And that's literally oh, wow. all we do is answer questions. Um, and so you've got a wealth of information that's free there to hear um, all kind of topics about keto. We also look at health headlines because they can get wackadoodle out there sometimes uh, and studies that come out. So a really great resource for people. Um, and then what, what was the other uh, uh, someone who's done this a while? What should they do uh, as far as resources? So my latest book uh, from April this year is called The Keto Cure. So the Keto Cure wrote with Dr. Adam Malley, and we assume you understand keto in that book. We assume you've read Keto Clarity or some similar uh, entry-level book, and you're ready to step up your knowledge. So that book, we get into the metabolic pathway as to why a ketogenic diet helps with a condition like PCOS, for example, or helps with high cholesterol, or helps with cardiovascular disease, or helps with this and that. Um, so we uh, we laid all that out. Half the book uh, is also recipes as well. So lots of great resources there. That's the one that I would point people to. If you understand this pretty well and you just want to up your uh, knowledge, that's a great one. And then, like I talked about earlier, with all these infrared sauna and ice therapy and sleep optimization and all that, uh, there's a little more advanced podcast that I do called the Keto Hacking MD Podcast that airs on Fridays, uh, where we talk very deeply about some of these other things you can do in addition to a ketogenic diet to optimize your health. That's great. Well, Jimmy, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, like you said, you're a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, you could use that term. You do have a cornucopia of resources. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. <laughs>